0: Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today was the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, and we heard from the Reverend Phil Brochard as he preached from the Gospel passage in the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 4, verses 21 to 30. As always, you can find more information or more sermons on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Had to know that cliff really well. I mean, this is his hometown, and uh, as hometowns go, it was not that big of a hometown. He probably had hunted for lizards there or thrown rocks off this cliff. Maybe watched the sun rise or set from it. And now his neighbors were pushing. And shoving him towards it. Do you think that Jesus saw this coming? On his way to the synagogue that morning, did he know that it was Isaiah that would be handed to him? Was that text that he read from, was that already on his heart? Did he know what he would say that it would be fulfilled in their hearing in him? Did he know how they would react? Did this break his heart? Or was his heart already broken? And what would bring a group of people to such rage? especially if this group knew, like intimately knew, the prophet that they were trying to hurl to his death? Why would a group go to such extremes to make sure that they severed him from them? Well, to answer this question, I think we need to go back a bit in our text As Dan preached about last week, when Jesus offers his first teaching in Luke's gospel, he chooses as his foundational text this radical passage from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, friends, this was good news. For anyone living under Roman rule, this was good news. For anyone who was bound by powers greater than they were, this was good news. For anyone who was worn down, worn out, this was good news. For anyone yearning to breathe free, this was good news. And so it was really good news for the people of Nazareth. And they loved it until they didn't. Do you remember a few weeks ago uh, when Emily was preaching about that moment in the scene in the wedding in Cana of Galilee? when everything shifted in the story and it's not clear what had happened? I think something similar is happening in the scene from this morning as well, right? Because in one moment, we're told that everybody in the synagogue was speaking well of him. They were marveling at his words, right? The local kid made good. And then someone asks what sounds to me like an innocuous question. And it all changes. And Jesus starts in on them about doctors and widows and lepers. And before you know it, they're headed for that cliff. And if you're like me, you might find yourself wondering, how in the world did this go off the rails so quickly? It seems like it turns on that seemingly innocent question. Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? Which, of course, as far as they knew, he was. And so why does this question, why is it so provocative? Well, I think the problem is that when they claim Jesus as Joseph's son, it's as if you are saying, You are ours. And therefore, you should be doing for us what you've done with those in Capernaum. But wait a minute. Forget about the rest of those communities. Haven't we known you since you were in short pants? Listen, son. We have a hold on you. We have a claim on you. You're ours, and ours alone. And by claiming him in this possessive way, they were attempting to control him, to keep for themselves what was meant for all to have, when in fact none of us gets to claim God for our own. And then Jesus makes it plain, as he does. He uses a a cultural proverb and some biblical narrative in the kind of response to questions that will, well, it'll eventually end in his death. Doctor, cure yourself. Essentially, uh, if a doctor's counsel is more likely to be followed if they themselves are healthy, and if the kinship system of Nazareth is the doctor... Then fix things here first before you go off to those other people. What were you thinking? Forget about them. What about our needs? And then Jesus gets sharper with these biblical stories. First, the prophet Elijah is told in 1 Kings, there was a great drought and there was famine all through Israel. Israel. And Elijah kept a widow from death, but where was she from? Not from around here, from Zarephath and Sidon. And there were plenty of lepers in Israel, but in 2 Kings, Elisha cleanses Naaman, who was a Syrian general. And at this point, it's kind of like Jesus is like, it's kind of like rubbing it in. But he wants to make clear, especially in Luke's gospel, Jesus wants to make clear that from the start, this realm of God must be available for even the furthest neighbor, not just for those of us with connections. And this can be, well, infuriating. Because we always want this special thing to be just for us, right? We, uh, we want to hold it as closely as we can. And it seems like this is at much of the root of the pain that we inflict on one another. I'm afraid that I won't get what I need, or worse yet, what my kid needs. And so I cling to whatever advantage or privilege that I have, large or small. And as I've been wondering this past week about this kind of rage that has us trying to hurl our profits off of cliffs, I remembered one of the more clarifying moments of this past seven years of trying to build affordable housing here in uber-progressive North Berkeley. At this particular point in our process, we had listened deeply to one another and to voices in the wider community, trying to discern the spirit of the Lord. And we came to believe that in the first part of the 21st century in the Bay Area, good news for those who were poor came in the form of safe and supportive housing for elders. Elders making 20 to 60 percent of the area median income. And we quickly learned that for some in this neighborhood, the ability to live here was only for the people who'd earned it. Even if earning it meant inheriting it from your grandparents or getting help from your parents. We were called many names. One of my favorites was All Holes. (laughs) Pretty routinely on our triptych out front. I was accused of all kinds of nefarious schemes and the vitriol and the rage took me by surprise which shows you my own naivete and privilege and it laid bare for me something I believe that at one point or another many if not all of us struggle with which is a lack of willingness to share the release The freedom that we have received because we find others to be unworthy. And to be clear, the building of Jordan Court is not the end of the road for us. In fact, I think it just means we've come to a new crossroads. Because, friends, it seems to me that we are always faced with this temptation wanting to possess for ourselves alone what we have been so freely given. It's this constant pull within communities, within people, to keep for ourselves what is meant for everyone. Whether it's because we are convinced that there's not enough or because those other people don't really deserve it or because, well, they'd probably waste it anyway. I suppose in the end, the truth of it is that we can't cure ourselves. Unless all of the body is healthy, we cannot be whole. And it's only through the free and radical gift of grace that the true liberation and healing that we all seek can happen. And it does happen. But we can't have it if we aren't willing to share it.